Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. It is Participation Trophy Wednesday here on Finsider Radio. Thank you so much for joining in. It is a full-size show for you guys today. We have Merrick Brave. We have Josh Houts. And if you guys are lucky, you'll have two podcasts, but otherwise, you'll just have to stick to one. Welcome into Finsider Radio. This is the Jake and Josh Show. Let's jump right into it. Joshua Houts, Merrick Brave, gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm cold. It's cold here in Iowa, and I don't like it. I miss summer. It's nipply for sure, but I'm I'm just glad that I can come on here and talk Dolphins football. That's the most cliche thing. I think I should just write that down and or just play the soundbite every week. I'm just thankful to be able to talk Dolphins football with you guys. How have you been? Christmas shopping sucks. Can I? Well, I'm just gonna get tell us about it. Let's hear it. Yeah, man, I've been shopping nonstop. My candles burning at both ends. I gotta say, that sounds dirty. Yeah, when it reaches the <laughs> middle, that sounds horrifying. I gotta say that. I gotta say that for sure. But gentlemen, outside of all the holiday hoobla that is going on. Uh, we had a game on Saturday night. It was a game that I don't think any of us expected it to go the way it did. Uh, Miami fell. The Dolphins lost. Yeah, womp womp. 29-32 uh, to 32 on a last-second field goal after leading by eighth in the fourth quarter. Uh, gentlemen, I just want to jump into this with one simple question. Um, I, I mentioned the participation trophies kind of bo- uh, jokingly, but um, can we have a moral victory? Is that possible? Is that really a thing we can accept? Yeah, I think so. You hear a lot of people talking about how there are no moral victories or consolation prizes in football, but I think you can have a moral victory in this case for a couple of different reasons. One, the Dolphins uh, played really poorly against the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Chargers, and we were looking for somewhat of a bounce-back game, uh, at least from the offense's perspective and that's what happened they went up to buffalo they played well they put up 29 points they had their team in a position to win um unfortunately even though the defense was playing well in the second half they gave up that late drive um and the bills were able to go down and and kick the game winning field goal but it was an encouraging performance from the offense um you know this time last week we were talking about have opposing defensive coordinators figured out the Dolphins offense. Uh, And we saw, and we were asking for Mike McDaniel to, to adjust to the adjustments, so to speak. And he did that. Uh, And he came out and he had a good game plan and, and they started running the ball. Well, I wish they would have continued running the ball. Well, especially in some of these short yardage situations. Um, But Another another reason why this could be considered a, a moral victory is because we all wanted to see if Tua could finally play well in a cold-weather game, and he did that. Uh, he played really well, and in fact, he played 
a lot better than his stats would indicate because he was kind of let down by some of his receivers at times. You had Tyreek Hill and Trent Sherfield with drops on an early drive uh, in the end zone, could have been touchdowns there. And then you had that Braylon Sanders, just crazy offensive pass interference down the middle of the field where it looked like he actually, Tua had him in stride. And if Sanders would have kept running, he could have caught the ball and went for a touchdown where instead he came back towards the line of scrimmage to push the defender, even though the ball was sailing over his head. It was wild. I I'm, I really don't know what happened on that play. But fact of the matter remains that we were asking, can Tua have a good game in cold weather? Well, it was damn cold, and it, it started snowing there by the end of the game, and Tua played well. So I think we got a couple of questions answered uh, in a positive way. It would have been nice to answer those questions and get a victory, but, you know, Beggars can't be choosers at this point of the year. So we'll take uh, we'll take our moral victory. And then hopefully for these next three weeks, we can get actual victories and, and end up in the playoffs. Yeah, for a team that hangs banners in the offseason, you know, with some of the free agent signings and trades that we make, I absolutely think we can come away with this, you know, sitting, feeling pretty well about what we saw. Like Merrick said, the biggest question mark, one of the biggest question marks heading into the year was whether or not Tua Turnovaloa could play in these elements. Obviously, this game didn't play out like, you know, the weathermen were predicting. You know, there was no crazy snow in the field, at least until that fourth quarter, you know, when the drives did matter most. But Tua went out there, completed 17 to 30 for 234 yards, the two touchdowns. We all saw Jalen Waddle put on those burners. I mean, I that that was just awesome to see. And that um, Tyree Kill touchdown, you know, he's to assault right before the play look left, you know, just came back over the top of the perfect ball. So um, he went out there, he delivered, he went toe to toe again with the division rival. And um, yeah, it sucks that the dolphins did come out of here with a, a win. It sucks that they lost with a last second field goal. Like, you know, maybe so many people predicted, but you know, heading into the week, you know, maybe we were just listening too much to what the media had to say, but you know, this felt like one of those games where the dolphins were just going to lay an egg. We were going to be sitting here talking on the podcast. That's so dolphins. And I don't feel that way at all. I feel like the dolphins went out there they did enough to at least hang toe-to-toe with Josh Allen and that Buffalo Bills offense until the very last seconds, and I was very impressed with, with the way the Dolphins played. I guess the only thing I want to see is, like Merrick said, you were running the ball successfully early on. Why'd you abandon it late in that game? You know, Mike McDaniel, we talk about how he's a rookie play caller. He's going to have these hiccups in the row, but you need to see this team. You know, they they realize their mistakes. I want to see them build on that, you know, not see these same issues, you know, coming rearing their head every single week. But overall, it was a great performance by the Dolphins, and, um, you know, it felt more like a win heading into this week than it did that loss like we're so accustomed to and and that's kind of the key here and guys let's talk about the running game for a minute because the Dolphins were without Jeff Wilson who did return to practice this week and it looks like he should be able to go this weekend against the Packers but uh, it was the Raheem Mostert show um, start to finish for the most part except when they did kind of tail away from that running game guys I'm interested to think about how you felt they approached the running game because the, the play, the, you know, you go to Madden and you look at your top three favorite play- plays. It was a stretch run to the left behind Teron Armstead. And guys, right away, I tweeted out right, uh, you know, first drive. They're running behind Brandon Shell, Robert Hunt, the guys on the right side. I didn't even know those guys were there for more than just, you know, show. But uh, it seemed to work out pretty well. How would you guys feel about those adjustments? Because obviously, I think there are still some more things in the passing game we'd like to see morphed a little bit. But all things considered, they're running in different directions. They're using using different linemen in different ways. And it seemed like something was working pretty well there, despite, you know, Buffalo being a pretty good team against the run. Back to what I said earlier, McDaniel was able to make adjustments, you know, like all off season, we hear about how the dolphins just hired themselves 
uh, an offensive genius at head coach. And through the first, you know, however many weeks, especially during that middle stretch where the Dolphins won five in a row and that offense was clicking, you know, we we thought to ourselves, yeah, okay, what they said, it was true. Mike McDaniel is an offensive genius. And then we had the two-game stretch, again, against the 49ers and the Chargers, where it felt like he did not have any answers to what the defensive coordinators on the opposing teams were throwing at him. And all of us were sitting there screaming at our television sets over and over, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. You know, if they're going to drop their linebackers so deep into coverage, which by the way is what the bills did, then the way you counter that is to run the ball. And it almost felt like Mike McDaniel was uh, engaging in a little bit of subterfuge during the week when he said, oh, no, we're just going to play our game. We're going to keep doing things the way we, we've been doing them. And I know I took a step back and was like, oh, my God, please don't tell me you're going to roll out that same game plan that you did against the Niners and the Chargers and hope to beat the Bills in Buffalo in the cold weather with it. And I, I feel like you know that was intentional. He wanted the Bills to think that they were going to play that way to get those linebackers to drop into coverage so that they could run the ball with Mostert. Uh, he had a 101 yard rushing in the first quarter alone in the first quarter alone Raheem Mostert had over a hundred yards rushing unfortunately for the final three quarters they only gave him the ball nine times total he got 35 yards on those carries so almost four yards a carry which is still pretty darn good uh, I don't know why we shied away from it so much um, especially in that fourth quarter. Dolphins are up by eight points. They just need a, a field goal or even a touchdown to go up by two scores. The snow had started falling. Uh, the, the field was very, very slick, and that negates the speed of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. They can't get in and out of their breaks as quickly as they would like to because it's slick on the field. So I thought that would have been a great time to come back to the run. I don't care if the bills are stacking the box. Let's, let's see what we can do against that. Let's see if we can get a good three or four yards. So that way you're not, but I think the they've shown all year, Merrick, that they can't when, when the box is stacked, I think this team has really struggled. And, and I think the big thing here and sorry to interrupt you is that uh, there's like a chess match going on where McDaniel wants to stay ahead of the curb. So I guess that's my concern because we have had drives, the third and one, fourth and one, they get stuffed right behind um, Tron Armstead on that left side. Sure, but it was working against the Bills. The run game was working against the Bills. So I hate to see him go away from it because they're concerned about it or because I think even Teron Armstead said something this week about how they need to they need to uh, get the run game going early so that they can give Mike McDaniel confidence to keep calling run plays as the game progresses. And it almost felt like he was kind of willing it into existence. And it almost felt like he really wanted the Dolphins to continue to try and pound the rock against the Bills when it didn't happen. Because this week he did come out and say that, you know, like we need to give McDaniel, Coach McDaniel confidence to continue calling the run plays. So it, it feels like if, there's a play where they run it and they get negative yards or the play, a play where they run it and they get one or two yards. It feels like McDaniel's like, Oh no, 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 we can't do that anymore. And I get trying to take advantage of those one-on-one matchups, but I just felt like in the fourth quarter when the snow started falling and the field started getting slick, that was a perfect time to try and lean on the run game, which had gotten you so far during that game. And unfortunately it went away from it, but I am encouraged by the performance on the ground. Um, we've talked about it. Good playoff teams and championship uh, caliber teams run the ball well and the Dolphins ran the ball well against the Bills and they've done it a couple other times this season as well so I think they are capable of doing it uh, I just want to know if Mike McDaniel's capable of sticking with it when it's working 
Yeah, I think so far we could uh, say no to that last question, right? I mean, he does kind of seem like a kid playing Madden. You know, you got the controller in front of you. You got all those awesome weapons around you. I mean, why keep running the football when you can try to, you know, throw, heave a bomb downfield or whatever it might be? But um, he, we went into this game with a clear plan. I mean, you mentioned it, Merrick. He kind of downplayed the weather and how it might factor into this game. But they came into this game with a heavy, you know, those first scripted plays. I mean, they were ready to run the football, and they did it so well. Uh, you mentioned um, Raheem Mostert, he became the first offense player since at least 1991 to rush for more than 100 yards in the first quarter. I believe someone tweeted out it was the first, uh, you know, the most rushing yards since a Dolphins player uh, since Jay Ajay back in maybe 2016. Sorry, I don't have that in front of me, but I mean, what we saw was a guy that was out there. I mean, he had that 67-yard run that we were all just, you know, fist bumping. I mean, no one could bring him down. I mean, he looked like he came into this game, you know, realizing, you know, the weather could be a factor. They were going to put this game in his hands, and he wanted to prove that he his worth. So um, I really, really wish we could have saw Mike McDaniel again, especially when the elements, you know, we did see the snow, you know, it was clearly playing a factor there late, late in the game. Um, I would have liked to see him, like you both have said, run the football more. I do think we have to shout out Salvin Ahmed because came on this podcast a few times throughout the offseason, you know, always teetered between him and Miles Gaskin. Loved what we saw to Salvin Ahmed, you know, didn't really think this offense skipped a beat without Jeff Wilson, who again, we all can, uh, we love what he brings to the table and we're glad to have him back, you know, for the stretch run. But um, I want to see this offensive line take over like they did early in that game. I want to see this run game inflict their will because once that run game is going, it opens so much up. So uh, yes, the question right now is, can Mike McDaniel continue to run the football when it's working? And I think, you know, through what, 15 weeks of the season, I'd have to say no. I know Earlier in the game, there was a, a third and short or a fourth and short, and they did hand the ball off to Alec Ingold, uh, and he was able to get the first down. And I, I know you said it didn't look like the offense missed or, or skipped a beat or missed a beat without Jeff Wilson, but I do, I do think back to that game, and I wonder if Jeff Wilson's bruising style may have been late in the game yeah late in the game that could have been something that this offense could have leaned on and it could have made the difference between going up by you know double digits here two scores uh and or kicking the ball away and giving the bills a chance to to go down uh and tie the game up and then eventually win it um i i do wonder if the game would have went differently if jeff wilson had been available with that bruising style he brings Good point. But I think more so what I just want to do is just kind of tip my hat to Salvinok Meg because again, he's a guy who didn't really get oh, many opportunities yeah. this year, this week, but uh, or this season. But yeah, man, Jeff Wilson's bruising style complemented with Raheem Moster. I mean, that is the ideal situation. We hope we have him moving forward. We talked about the run game, guys, but uh, the Dolphins, this was also the first time that they had two 100 uh, yard rusher and a 100 yard receiver since uh, October 14, 2018, when Frank Gore and Albert Wilson did it. So uh, we saw Jalen Waddle have a monster game, caught three passes for 114 yards. Uh, that big touchdown that, you know, he just broke away. He looked like the road runner. So um, I thought the way Jalen Waddle came up and showed up in this game was awesome. He came up and made a nice contested catch. Yes, there were, you know, some drops that this receiving core had. The two most critical ones was that Trent Sherfield one. I think we can all agree that ball was put in the perfect spot. And then there was the one to Tyree Kill in the back of the end zone. Some are saying it might have been a ball to Waddle, um, but it looked to me like it hit Tyree Kill right in the hand. So those were two drops that Dolphins Twitter, you know, whether you're a team two or whatever, you're looking at it one way, Glaff has full glass half empty I don't know your guys thoughts but overall I thought again this offense to a ton of a load those weapons around him all did enough again to stay toe-to-toe with one of the best teams if not the best team in the AFC I was at that game Josh I was at that game where Frank Gore re- rushed for over 100 yards and Albert Wilson uh caught for over 100 yards as well Brock was Osweiler was quarterback right was yep. that that game that was, oh that man was, that was the Bears game in Miami I was at that one 
We might have to make a Spider-Man meme of just Frank Gore and Albert Wilson pointing at Jalen Waddle and Raheem Mostert because that that is that is so awesome to hear about that. But uh, guys, I, I can I pull us back to the running game for just a second because I remember last year I went on this huge spiel about how the Dolphins were trying to get third and shorts with Jacoby Brissett. Um, even when Tua was healthy, that was like their thing, and it the, wasn't. The Browns working. still do it. <laughs> And the Browns still do it. They're paying a quarterback a bajillion dollars, and they're still using Jacoby Brissett. I, I don't get why why people do this or teams do this. But my whole spiel back then was the idea of Tua is a, on your salary cap, was a top five player last year. Yes, rookie deal, it's still expensive. He was one of your highest paid players on the field when Brissett was going out there and missing on these third and fourth and shorts. I'm curious, do you guys feel that when you think about Mike McDaniel, and I like the idea of he needs confidence to call running running plays, does it have something to do with the fact that you look at all the money invested in the passing attack and throwing the football and his experience throwing the football? You can look at the Dolphins in general as a team that loves to pass the ball in neutral situations. But let's say it doesn't have to be, you know, you trade four picks for a former first rounder and Christian McCaffrey, but do you think there could be something as simple as, hey, if we invest in this running game, maybe it you know, people will be a little more confident like McDaniel in running the football. I know you can kind of go both ways considering that Raheem Mostert, he used him in San Fran for so long, but it's just an interesting perspective to kind of put the money next to each other on how much they've invested in this running game. Cause it's not a lot. I don't know if he feels super confident in the running game. I don't feel like he feels he has all the pieces to make the running game work specifically, specifically the outside zone scheme. Um, for that scheme to work really well, you need tight ends who can block. And unfortunately, the Dolphins really don't have tight ends who can block well. Like Durham Smythe is an adequate blocker, and he's like head and shoulders above anybody else the Dolphins have at the tight end position when it comes to run blocking. So I don't know if he has confidence that he has the right pieces to be able to replicate what he was doing in San Francisco. So that plays a part. But I do think to your point, Jake, when you have uh, Tyreek Hill on one side, Jalen Waddle on the other, and, and a quarterback who the Dolphins definitely believe in now in Tua Tungavailoa, I think you are tempted to throw the ball in those situations because you say, you know, where is our strength? It's passing the ball. It's these receivers, this quarterback. And so you you lean on that a little bit more. But sometimes, especially when it was working against the Bills, sometimes you just got to play old school smash mouth football and run the ball straight up the gut, no outside zone, no nothing, run it right behind Connor Williams, run it right behind, you know, Robert Hunt and see if you can get that yard or two. And even if you don't get the full amount, as long as you don't take a loss, you might be tempted to go for it on a fourth and inches instead of, you know, throwing the ball on a third and two. And now it's fourth and two. And if you weren't confident to run on third and two, you ain't running on fourth and two. And so you, then you just punt the ball away, but it's an interesting thing. I know Mike McDaniel this week did say, uh, you know, you're, it was kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where if they run the ball there and they don't get it, everyone goes, why aren't you throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? And if they throw the ball and they don't get it, then everyone goes, why aren't you running the ball? You know, it's a, it's only two yards. You should be able to get that. So he's the head coach. We're not, we'll continue to trust in him. Um, it was encouraging that they got the ground game going. Now let's see if they can continue that, especially if Jeff Wilson does suit up this weekend against the Packers. And I really like Alec Ingold in those short yardage situations, but I think it goes back to what Jake said. And I think even uh, Mike McDaniel kind of talked about it on his post-game press conference. You know, he's trying at times to stay ahead of the defense. So, you know, when everyone in the stadium, everyone at home thinks you're going to run the football again, you got those weapons. Why not try to spread the defense out, you know, get that one-on-one matchup 
who knows, but like you guys both have mentioned, you know, you're taking a shot on third down, then you got a manageable fourth and one, you still have another chance to go for it. So um, we're not head coaches for a reason, but um, I do think it's a little bit of Mike McDaniel overthinking things. And again, him not having faith in those guys up front, like Merrick said, a Mike Asicki, um, you know, the tight end room, they need to upgrade that. Thankfully, there's a lot of good prospects in uh, this year's draft class. You know, there's a lot of very good tight ends. And I think we can all say we saw that video of uh, Mike Asicki at the end of the game talking to Dawson Knox about, uh, hey, at least they're effing utilizing you, right? Yeah, and Mike McDaniels actually asked about that at um, one of his press conferences this week. And he kind of went on a, a rant just kind of owning up to it. And this is all, you know, coaches have to do. We get the generic coach talk, but McDaniel, uh, short and sweet, was basically said, you know, it's my fault. He's a talented player. We should be able to get him more involved. You know, that's something I look at myself and say, how can I make this better? He's a talented player and all that stuff. Uh, but, but guys, to kind of transition from someone who – doesn't get a lot of attention to someone who's getting maybe a little more attention than they should. Uh, but let's go back. Let's go back in the time machine to, to, I mean, these memories for you guys being so old must be black and white, but, but go back to when you guys were in high school, Unreal. you, you guys were drinking a couple soda pops with your pals. Uh, every friend group has that one friend who might be a little younger. Maybe they can't handle their alcohol. And what I'm trying to get here is why do the dolphins keep throwing the ball to Braylon Sanders? Because what is happening here is you have all these guys who are doing Irish car bombs, keg stands, partying their butt off. And then Braylon Sanders gets two sips of beer and has a wide open touchdown and just throws up everywhere. And I feel like that becomes a bit more egregious when you consider the Dolphins drafted Eric Azucama with one of their first picks in the draft. And he hasn't even sniffed the field during the regular season. After having what many uh, reporters called a very good preseason, a very good camp, um, and we haven't seen him at all, but we've seen Braylon Sanders, and I believe on his first catch ever in the NFL, it was against the Lions, and he fumbled. Yep. And now we see, and and now we see this game where it looked like a perfectly thrown deep ball to me, and it looked like if he would have just kept running, he would have caught it, and he could have been gone for the touchdown. But instead, he comes back towards the line of the line of scrimmage pushes the defender, still doesn't make the catch, by the way, ball sails over his head. Uh, and then they get the penalty on top of that as well. And it's like, man, what are you doing? And why are you throwing that ball to him when, again, you've got Tyreek and you've got Jalen, but you've also got Mike Kosicki. We just kind of touched on it, how the Dolphins aren't using him. Uh, if you're going to you know, chuck it down the middle of the field and say, go up and get it, do it with Kosicki. He's shown the talent uh, that he has to go up and get some of those contested catches. But yeah. To your point, Jake, I don't understand it. I don't quite get it. Um, I think Wes Welker came out and said it was the reason why EZE hasn't seen the field is because he's learning a different position, a different, a specific wide receiver position, and and Sanders is learning uh, something else. And so when to run straight, basically, sure. When Craycraft is hurt, his backup is Sanders. So they. Put put him in there. Um, whereas I don't know who Azukama is backing up, but if that person were to get hurt, then we probably see him. So um, I don't want anybody to get hurt, especially in that wide receiver group. That's where our stars are. Uh, but I just, I thought that was a, a very pivotal, pivotal play in the game that if it would, if it would have went Miami's way, I think you see that, that little win percentage graphic that they always do. That looks like a, you know, heartbeat monitor at, at the hospital. I think you see that shoot up in, in Miami's favor in that situation, but alas, it was not to be. And, and I think that's, what's, you know, the most confusing again, we, from the fans don't, we don't know everything that's going on at camp, but 
based on preseason, Eric Ezukoma looked like he was, you know, a budding star. You know, he looked like he was going to be the next big thing. And to have Braylon Sanders out there, like you mentioned, he had that fumble on his first career catch. You know, then this play right here, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say this was a game-changing play, but, I mean, this obviously could have impacted that final score had he, you know, kept running and made that grab. I don't, I don't know why you turn around and push off, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know, and I'd rather, much rather have Eric Ezukoma, the guy you already used a draft pick on. But maybe that just speaks to, you know, how – much faith they have in Braylon Sanders and maybe how much little faith they have in Eric Ezukoma. I don't know. Hopefully, you know, whatever it is, Ezukoma can redshirt this year and we see him making those catches next season as a perfect complement to a Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. I think the only issue there is it goes back to McDaniel wanting to stay ahead of defenses. It's the idea that nobody expects it to be, uh, you know, little old Braylon Sanders who catches the 70 yard bomb, but that that right there, I kind of feel is one of the biggest plays of the game because when you felt Buffalo getting momentum, um, it was the uh, touchdown where Josh Allen, he escapes pressure, he rolls out to the right, and he, some tight end who has never caught a ball in his life, catches it for a touchdown with a, a linebacker looking the wrong way. That's kind of the difference here. We can talk about how Josh Allen played so well, but you need those supporting guys, not just, you know, your Tyree Kill, your Jalen Waddle. You need little old Braylon Sanders to kind of catch that ball and go into the end zone because you're an NFL level player. You have those expectations, and I think you need to meet those. And you saw, I think that's kind of the difference in that game on Saturday was maybe those bottom of the roster guys. Miami might have made some tough decisions. You know, Tanner Connor, what have we seen from him? He's been around the team all year. Braylon Sanders, another situation, especially when you consider, I mean, we spoke about this wide receiver room. How are they going to keep nine, 10 guys just to have this be the situation that plays out is a, is a little concerning to say the least. Yeah. It almost feels, and one of my gripes with Mike McDaniel, and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Mike McDaniel fan. I think he's been great for the franchise, and and he's a rookie head coach, so he'll continue to learn and grow just like rookie players do. But one of my biggest gripes with McDaniel is it feels like he gets too cute sometimes, and it, he almost mm -hmm. outsmarts. He, he almost outsmarts himself. You know what I mean? Like like he he thinks so many steps ahead that eventually he just circles back around to the original point and it's easy to stop whatever he's trying to throw out there so you got star players like Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and you know in the backfield Raheem Mostert you have a really good pass catching tight end Mike Gesicki who we've already talked about isn't getting the ball enough and if Mike McDaniel is an offensive genius he should be able to scheme up some plays for Gesicki um, just lean on those guys especially in a, a game against a division rival on the road, in prime time, in the elements, let your star players do star player things and don't think you're going to outsmart the defense by launching a deep ball to Braylon and I fumble on my first catch in the NFL Sanders. I was at that game too, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you guys both talked about it. I mean, talking about getting too cute. I mean, isn't that kind of what Tua does at times? It seems like, you know, when he's dropped back in the past, he at times looks like he's owning in on Tyreek Hill. And I know we talked about in previous podcasts, but guys, what Tyreek Hill has meant to this team since this trade went down. I mean, he is just shattering record after record. We saw that he's now um, not only the Dolphins single season receiving holds that record, but he now broke his own career high in receiving yards. I think he's three catches away from shattering his own career high in receptions and then four catches away from shattering Jarvis Landry's franchise record. So, um, Nine catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown against the Bills. Again, we all saw that one play where Tua, you know, he just knew where he's going pre-snap, held the safety for a second, put that ball right on the money to Tyreek Hill. But you guys mentioned getting your playmakers the ball late in the games, you know, not overthinking things. Finding a way to get Tyreek Hill another touch or two, I mean, that may have been the difference in this one, if we're being honest.
I am begging Mike McDaniel to give a handoff to Tyreek Hill. Like, come on, man. Like, let's see an end. Ebo package. We've been talking about that from like the beginning of the damn podcast. We're waiting for it. I mean, Tyreek Hill, just like our old quarterback, uh, Ryan Tannehill, he played a different position. Yeah, he well, he played a, a different position in college as well. He was a running back. He started out as a running back in college. So, you know, we we talk about, oh, give him the ball and let him run because he's fast. But he actually used to play the position. So not only is he fast as hell, but he has experience uh, in the backfield. So I would love – I'm begging Mike McDaniel, you send him in motion so often, just – just snap the ball early and do one of those old Kansas city, like little touch passes where Mahomes would get it and then throw it two inches. And then Tyreek would take it for 70 yards and Mahomes would get credit for a 70 yard touchdown pass. Like let's let the media go crazy. When, when Tua throws for five touchdowns with a, a total of nine inches of air yards, let's, let's just do that. That's probably one of the craziest things that has happened this year is the fact that like, I, I think the dolphins have kind of started a trend because third and short, Fourth and short, they they go deep. They go past the sticks. They they know what defenses are looking for, and it's been a lot of fun that that these short yarded situations. They're just like f it. Tyreek kills down there somewhere, and it's it's refreshing to see that your absolute stud. I mean, nine for sixty nine and a tutty isn't amazing, but I mean, how many yards Ty- is it? Nice, a nice amount. Nice, a very nice amount. Uh, but it's still fun that you know, you have this leader in Tyreek Hill tweeting out that he's disappointed with how the game went. I mean, it's just. It seems like, I don't know what it is, Teron Armstead, Tyree Kill, these guys didn't say everything was going to be okay, and I'd listen to them for the end of time. I don't know what it is. Yeah, Follow them into the fire depths of hell if they asked us to. (laughs) Guys, let's talk a little bit about the defense here because, I mean, the offense scored 29 points. It's only the second time this season the Buffalo Bills have gave up 29 points. But I thought the defense didn't play as poorly as, as these numbers look. You know, there was an interception that tipped off Javon Holland's hands. There was a second fumble by Josh Allen that ended up with a Bills player. That's how this defense is going to have to win. It's going to have to be by these turnovers. And I want to start this conversation with a simple, guys, did you see Javon Holland evolve into Zach Thomas with that neck roll? Because that was pretty cool. Uh, it looked sweet. That reminded me of my childhood when every linebacker wore a neck roll. Like I saw Brian Cox, you know, rolling out there, throwing up the middle finger in Buffalo. Uh, like he did back in the day. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he had to suffer an injury to wear the neck roll. And I know Holland said he didn't enjoy wearing the neck roll because it limited his uh, ability to kind of look for the ball. So I I doubt we'll see it going forward, but it was kind of neat. And, I mean, kudos to him for being such a a badass and and fighting through that injury. I've had neck problems for a number of years now and i mean it's debilitating it, it it really does affect the rest of your body i think he said his arm was on fire for the rest of the game and you know that's a nerve thing so uh thankfully he was able to come back and play really well in that second half i mean right away josh allen went for a scramble and got past the the line and the linebackers and then you saw javon holland come screaming up you know just just past uh i probably like eight, nine yards deep. And he just laid Josh Allen out like flat with a real nice, solid tackle. And that was after the neck injury. So to be able to do that against a quarterback, the size of Josh Allen, that takes guts. And and I just want to make sure he gets his flowers for, for being such a warrior for the dolphins on Saturday. Yeah. And on that scramble, I think Josh Allen even kind of got him and was like, nice hit, man. Like he knew that was a, a hell of a tackle. And I think um, one of the coolest things I thought, or at least most intriguing things I th- thought about the way they were using Javon Holland is he was spying Josh Allen for, you know, parts of that game. I mean, now you mentioned that tackle. I mean, you could see him jump down and kind of follow which way he was going. So, you know, we come to these podcasts, we try to d- 
figure out who the Dolphins might use. I mean, Javon Holland, that was a, a hell of a move there by the defense. But um, then we saw, you know, what it did to some of the other players on the back end of that secondary. You know, without Eric Rowe, there were some issues in that secondary. The biggest to me and the one I at least caught the most slack of on Twitter because I was trying to, you know, be as most honest and non-homer as I could. But that final play of the game, guys, I know we all have our own opinion on it. Uh, looks like Darth Cater got a hold at the line, you know, goes downfield. Hits the guy a little bit early, also gets flagged for defensive pass interference. A lot of Dolphin fans were upset saying the refs screwed him out of this. I mean, I thought it was clear that there was a hold on the play. Also, pass interference that they were not calling all game long. But uh, at that point, I felt like that was the dagger in my heart and uh, felt like that was what honestly sealed the Dolphins' fate. So just give me your thoughts on that final play and, you know, the penalties that a lot of Dolphin fans are upset about. Yeah, I mean, you go by the rule book. That's classic uh, pass interference. He didn't turn back. He didn't look for the ball. It is pass interference. I hate to say it, and it hurts me to say it. And even as I was watching it, I wanted to be the guy that's like, oh, man, these refs are deciding this game. But it was pass interference. My gripe is that there were so many plays where the Dolphins offense and the Dolphins receivers were being mugged before the ball yep. got there all throughout that game, specifically in the first half, and not a single defensive pass interference penalty was called on those plays. Uh, and and that's my gripe there. I do feel like this was a poor, a poorly officiated game, um, and it, it felt like a lot of those crucial calls. And if you look at the stats, the, the penalties are pretty even, but like the Bills had a horse collar tackle on Raheem Mostert on that 60-some-yard some run that could have gone for a touchdown where they only were penalized four yards for that because it was a half, half a distance to the goal situation, whereas at the end, when Cater gets that, that pass interference penalty, that sets him up for a chip shot field goal for the win there. So I feel like if you're going to call that pass interference, at, in that crucial time of the game, uh, so late there, you have to call it even throughout the whole game. So without them doing that earlier in the game, it really did make me, even though I do agree that it was pass interference, it did make me kind of salty at the end. And I was like, uh, you know, I hate to see it end that way, you know, especially since they weren't calling it even throughout the whole contest. It's a rocky road, but it's kind of like baseball with unwritten rules. And the unwritten rule I thought I understood was that there are a lot of things that are and are not called throughout a game. But the way these refs did it was kind of in reverse, right? Usually you're calling everything early in a game. You know, as the game goes on, as you get closer to that fourth quarter, you start calling less and less. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always felt like that's kind of the vibe where you don't end the game on that flag. You make them get those last yards. But I guess when you're the Bills, it's a little different. I mean, I would love some ref to have to come out and talk to the press afterwards. Just, just, just. I mean, I think that would do so much in terms of just communication. I think it helped everyone be better at their jobs instead of us just having to go to our own corners and bicker. And the snowballs were bull were bullshit. Can we say bullshit? I mean, uh, early in the game. Bullshit. Yeah, I can say. I guess can I can say, say whatever, whatever I want because I can. I can uh, censor it out. But I mean, we know that Trent Shurfield dropped that ball in the end zone. You know, there were some other plays that were questionable. But if you see a snowball coming out the corner of your eye, I mean, who knows what that did for your vision? I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. You see Bills fans, all oh, the Dolphin fans, they were bitching about the sun for what eleven weeks, and now they want to talk about snow. It's like, yo, no one's throwing the sun at you. Like what? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I in one of the articles I wrote for the Finsider this week, I kind of tore into the Bills fans who were throwing the snowballs. Because in reality, I mean, we all know we live in we live in cold weather areas. 
you can't pack a snowball that tight unless there's ice in there. So that wasn't just a snowball. That Those were ice balls, and they were throwing them at the players on the field. They were throwing them at the players and the coaches on the sideline. Uh, and, and Bills fans are like, oh, you're soft, you're soft. It's just snowballs, what, right? It's, it's, it's not that dangerous, whatever. Okay, if it wasn't that dangerous, then why did the refs stop the game uh, and make an announcement over the PA that they would penalize the Bills 15 yards if those snowballs didn't stop happening? You know what I mean? Like if it's really not that big of a deal and it's not dangerous and it can't injure somebody, then they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have stopped the game. They would have been like, yeah, throw as many snowballs as you want. Uh, so I thought that was definitely bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Bleep all that, Josh. You got your work cut out for you. But uh, – I I, uh, I spent a lot of time blocking Bills fans on my on my Twitter this these past few days. It's been nice. Fun fact: When I was in kindergarten, someone walked up to me with a snowball. It wasn't snow. Yeeted right at my face, and I still have a chipped tooth from it. So yeah, that yeah, there there is sometimes a little ice hidden in those, and it's worth. I I don't understand the whole idea of Bills fans love to go there somewhere they don't even dig out the stadium for you. I thought it was very weird that they did not dig out any of this. You go to any baseball game, they're wiping down those things for hours. I, 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 I did not get that. I think we, I think we've digested this bills game enough. I think we can all agree that, Hey, moral victories are okay, but this is a team that's on a three game losing streak in the middle of December. So things are getting urgent. And if my intro at the top didn't make sense here, I am to translate it. This is where if you have to work, if you have a busy weekend, you would like to pause the podcast and take a little break so you have something to enjoy the rest of the weekend with. Otherwise, let's start talking about the Packers. Supersized episode for your listening pleasure. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And as we begin the second act of our performance, it starts with just one question. One question for you, Merrick. It's not always hot in Miami. No, apparently not. Uh, you know, I'd be really upset if I was vacationing down in Miami, uh, trying to catch a Dolphins game on Sunday, Christmas Day, you know, trying to enjoy a getaway for the holiday. Because I just pulled up the weather on my computer here. In Miami, it's going to be 56 degrees and rainy on Sunday. Uh, with 13 mile per hour winds like that feels more like green bay than than miami in my opinion what do you guys think yeah i i would much rather uh be much hotter than that and so we can have them cooking on the sideline like uh bills fans love to talk about do the dolphins this week do they sit on the visiting sideline so they get the sun oh yeah is that an advantage for green bay it do they make it cold can they do that that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine yeah, they made us sit in the shade and we just froze for three hours. This is nothing like this in Wisconsin. I don't know. But we're, this, we're, guys, we're complaining about weather right now, but I would kill for it to be 56 degrees where I, live. I think it's a high of 19 today. I got that coming this weekend. It's going to suck. It's going to suck so much. But it's a tale of two cities between Miami and Green Bay. The Dolphins 
are playing their first home game in nearly a month after losing three straight road games. Meanwhile, the Packers have won two straight and have to nearly win out to advance. So guys, before we even talk about any players, you see this on the schedule beginning of the year, you get a little scared, but right now you look at the Packers six and eight team. I mean, must win. Can we say must win? Must win for the Packers or must win for the Dolphins? Because it's definitely a must win for the Packers, which makes me even a little bit more queasy. Queasy. Must win for pride for the Dolphins. Because I know technically they can, the Jets games and the Patriots are the big for making the playoffs, but a must win for our confidence that this team can still get W's. Oh, for sure. If we want to have any confidence in this Dolphins team heading into the playoffs, I do think they need to go 3-0 and over these last three games. I think any letdown whatsoever, and you can kind of, even if the Dolphins do make the playoffs, you can kind of, you know, predict a, a one-and-done uh, for this team. So against a team like the Packers, who have won a handful of games late, uh, or as of late, but I mean, come on, they beat the Rams without Aaron Donald, without Cooper Cup, without Matthew Stafford. It was in Green Bay. Uh, like, Come on, who'd you really beat there? Uh, they two at well. If you look at the Packers' wins this year, they really only have one quality win against a good opponent, and that's the Dallas Cowboys, and they beat them in overtime, and that was kind of a fluke game. So I don't think the Packers, strange to say, are as good as their record, even though they do have a losing record in our six and eight. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, agree. I, I think they're a worse team than that. So I do think the Dolphins need to come out on Christmas Day, give us all a gift of a nice healthy victory uh nobody gets hurt it doesn't go down to the wire you know they win by double digits and and we can all enjoy you know some eggnog later in the later in the evening maybe some spiked eggnog i know mine will be but uh you know and i don't want to spike it for reasons other than celebration i don't want to be drowning my sorrows on christmas day the dolphins definitely always do this to us late in the year don't they but it's a new team it's a new day and and i'm hoping for a victory on sunday yeah, that's what I keep trying to tell myself, or at least the voices in my head. They keep trying to tell me this is a different team. I think you hit it right on the head. You know, this game is a must-win for the Green Bay Packers and um, not necessarily a must-win for the Dolphins' playoff hopes, but if you want to go into those last two weeks this season with any sort of confidence, you want to somehow go on that winning streak. I know Jake talked about before after the last uh, – in a previous podcast, after the Dolphins' last uh, three-game losing streak, they bounced back and won five games in a row. How beautiful would that be, you know, if you're playing in the AFC uh, championship game? I do have pulled up the all-time record between the Dolphins and Packers is – 10 and five in favor of the dolphins, but they have lost four of the last five games. And you mentioned feeling queasy when you saw us at the beginning of the season, I 100% felt queasy because I know we've talked about before, but uh, you cannot think about the dolphins and the Packers without that freaking uh, Joe Philbin calling a timeout with Philip Wheeler and coverage play running it back the same play after. I mean, that's, that's the dolphins and green Bay Packers. That's the only memory I think I have in my head. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but uh, yeah, queasy would be an understatement. Aaron Rodgers even fake spiked it as a joke. Like he's like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do stuff now because you guys know what's coming and you you didn't want it to adjust at all. It kills me. Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers is not the same Aaron Rodgers this year as he has been the last couple of years. Um, but they started, but wouldn't it be just so Dolphins for him to become oh, the same at like five touchdowns yes, and yes, absolutely. Damn it. I hate that I said and, that. And uh, AJ Dillon left the game on Monday with concussion like symptoms but he did clear concussion protocol that night and then again the next day at practice so uh it does look like he'll have a, a full complement of weapons um outside of sammy watkins who they just released and he signed with baltimore uh but you know they got these young wide receivers who have come on strong as of late christian watson has been a a touchdown machine over these last you know handful of games it 
Dolphins are going to have their work cut out for them. I, I talked about how it would be great to get a double-digit victory. I'm not going to predict that. I think it'll actually be a lot closer than than people would like it to be. But I do still think this is a very winnable game. Uh, the Packers' strength this year has been that running game. And one of the few bright spots on this Dolphins defense is their ability to defend the ground game specifically when it comes to running backs. If you got a quarterback who can run, we don't got a shot. Uh, we've <laughs> seen that against Josh Allen and Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson, but against actual running backs, the Dolphins defense uh, has been pretty good. I think 3.8 yards per carry against, against running backs this year. So lone bright spot on that defense. And if the Packers are going to try and stick with that ground game, just like they did against the Rams, then I, I give our defense a, a good shot to contain them. There's something about, uh, I, I don't know if I can really say that, you know, they w- lose on Sunday. All of a sudden you have games against Packers or excuse me, the Patriots, Jets, both seven and seven. I think the Dolphins absolutely need to come out and get the, a major confidence boost. I think they know what they're capable of, but just seeing it, getting that big time dub is what they're going to be looking for. And let's start by taking a, a bigger bite out of this Packers offense. Josh, you, excuse me, Merrick, you mentioned uh, Christian Watson and also on Monday night, Fourth round pick Romeo Dobbs returned to the starting lineup for the Packers. Uh, the whole gripe all year, you know, the Packers, they trade Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers has no help, blah, 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 blah. Um, Rodgers went seven for seven on the 13 plays with both Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs on the field. So it's going to be another situation where, you know, you can't just hope that you you block out one big wide receiver and hope that's the end of it. Uh, but guys, let, let's talk about these running backs. A.J. Dillon did clear concussion rotor protocol after scoring two touchdowns he is on fire four touchdowns in the last three games 2.86 yards after contact how does someone like that a big bowling ball go against a defensive line that features christian wilkins who has 46 stops five more than any other defensive tackle in the entire league i mean that that's strength on strength right there you know what do they say that's the uh the immovable what is it? I'm, I'm. How am I blanking on this, Josh? You got to help me out. I kind of want to let him struggle with it. <laughs> I thought he had it right. Immovable. Ob- I don't know. That's uh, two big mother. Objects unstoppable you know? force. You got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't yeah. what I was gonna say. You're right. <laughs> Anyways, strength on strength here. We got we got uh, a solid defensive line. You got Christian Wilkins just wreaking havoc on on opposing offenses. You got Zach Sealer, who's also a really strong run defender. Uh, and you got those edge players, which, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb strong against the rush uh, Jalen Phillips coming on in that aspect this year as well. So uh, if they want to continue to try and pound the rock, I invite them to do that. Uh, especially, you know, I know he hasn't looked the same this year, but especially because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, he could have himself a nice little throwback game and we could all be crying you know, by the end of this one. So let's go for it. You want to run with AJ Dillon? You want to run with Aaron Jones? I, I challenge you to do so. And those, I mean, those two running backs complement each other better than, you know, maybe any tandem in football, right? I mean, Don't AJ Dillon, I'm Don't not saying Thunder I'm just say AJ Dillon's that thumper that can go between the tackles and Aaron Jones. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at his numbers, you know, we know what he can do in the run game, but have the Dolphins not been gassed through the passing game with guys like Christian McCaffrey? Uh, did Austin Eckler have a huge game? Did he not against the Dolphins, I believe? So, um, you know, maybe the Dolphins can stop him in that run game, but it's when they leak out of the backfield and containing them with a the Duke Riley and some of those other guys where they could you know make their most so um yeah let's see the way this goes down two heavyweight fights you know we got christian wilkins i know i feel a lot better about this dolphins run defense than we have in years and if that's what we got to do to stop the green bay packers force aaron Rodgers to you know prove that he's not the same aaron Rodgers. i mean i'm all here for it but i just 
continue to feel a little bit queasy when you look at those weapons. You mentioned Romeo Dobbs coming back. We know how good Christian Watson is. You know, we mentioned the two running backs. It's going to be a little bit tougher than maybe Dolphin fans expect, but we're at home. We know what the Dolphins do at home. Let's take care of business. Aaron Jones does have 49 broken tackles on the year. That's fifth most. And when you look at the numbers, this offense is really three yards in a prayer. They're going to run the football and then they're going to take shots. Rodgers is fifth in the NFL with 27 big time throws and his time to throw at just over two and a half seconds is 10th in the NFL. So this is a team. They aren't going to let plays really develop. It's all about the routes. It's all about guys. I don't know if you saw this, the athletic just wrote an article about Aaron Rodgers uh, about the fact that every play he can go between about 30 different hand motions, telling different receivers to do different things. There's no documentation of any of these hand motions. It's literally go to practice, see what Aaron Rodgers does and learn about it. So to me, that's really interesting. And you know, Christian Wilkins has been a stud. Jalen Phillips has 60 pressures, which is sixth in the NFL. He's the sixth highest graded pass rusher on PFF. But to me, man, the way this offense operates for the Packers, I think it's going to come down to the safeties. I don't think Christian Watson as a rookie, I don't think Romeo Dobbs in his second game ever have the ability. They could be great players, but I think this late in the season, I don't think they are the guys who are going to win the game. It's going to be mistakes that are letting them run free in the secondary. So is Eric Roback? Is Veron McKinley still the guy back there? Where is Javon Holland? How healthy is he? I think that's going to be the real key to this game. I think they're going to do enough to slow down the rushing attack. I love what Miami's front four is doing, uh, but that rushing attack is still going to do enough. You know, we mentioned it before. This is a team, the Dolphins want to be a team that can get two yards on third down. The Packers are a team that can do that, and they take advantage of it with these shots through the air. So to me, man, it's all about the secondary, specifically the safeties, especially Xavier Howard can only cover one of them. And and Mike McDaniel did say that Eric Rowe was close to playing on Saturday night against the Bills, and that's another one you look back and you go, oh, man, what if? What if we had mm-hmm. Eric Rowe there? there in particular, on, on Josh Allen's, I think it was a 47-yard scramble, Rome McKinley just takes an awful angle thinking that he's going to square up with him and, and Allen just put his foot in the dirt and, or in the snow or whatever, and uh, just kind of veered off to the left and was able to gain like another 25 yards. Uh, And I don't think that's something that would have happened if Eric Rowe would have been available. So hopefully we get Eric Rowe back. Hopefully Javon Holland is uh, healthy enough to, to compete in this one. Uh, But man, this secondary really is the Achilles heel of this defense of this entire team. Uh, and it's not really their fault per se. It's a lot to do with injuries. We talk about it every week. Uh, Xavier Howard, kind of a shell of his former self due to uh, both those groin injuries that he's been dealing with all year. And then, you know, you lose Nick Needham and Byron Jones never shows up and trail trail Williams isn't there. And Brandon Jones isn't there for his blitzing prowess. And, and it becomes tough and you're just trying to piece together healthy bodies uh, just so you can field a, a full a full team, a full a full eleven on that side of the ball. So getting row back would be a big deal. Uh, but you're right, Jake. I like I like our chances with a healthy-ish defense against rookie receivers Watson and Dobbs. I know I've been pretty hard on Josh Boyer, but you naming off all those players that are hurt and you know all the things they've had to overcome. I mean. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying Josh Boyd deserves a pass, but I mean, they have been trying to piece together that secondary and and keep this thing chugging along. I guess um, as soon as you guys both have now said that, you know, you don't see Watson or Dobbs taking this game over. I mean, I'm just picturing (laughs) uh, Packers fans after, you know, Christian Watson has three touchdowns and Xavier Howard posting that Randy Moss meme, you know, where he's on the sideline showing the three fingers after he had three touchdowns. So. I'm definitely feeling a little bit queasy there, but I think I talked about in the last podcast what Eric Rowe means to that secondary, his ability to not only come down in the box and make tackles, 
like you would have mentioned, you know, the Ron McKinley missed tackle. Um, I think, you know, when you're spying Javon Holland last week, having Eric Rose presence would have been a world of a difference. So I really hope he can go out there and play. I really hope uh, Darth Cater can bounce back. I mean, he was breaking up some plays. He still looked decent in that game. It was just late in the game. You know, again, he got called for a pass interference at all game long. It wasn't called pass interference. So um, it's all going to come down to how that Dolphins secondary can latch down, force Aaron Rodgers to make mistakes. And it's going to have a lot to do with what that Dolphins defense up front can do with pressures. I know Jake has written down here. Jalen Phillips has 60 pressures, sixth in the NFL, uh, sixth best PFF grade for edge rushers. Again, we can talk about so we're blue in the face, what he's done, saying all all season long, he wanted to be a lean me machine, working his way to being a three down player. We're seeing it. Jalen Phillips, in my opinion, has taken that next step and is honestly, you know, that next great Dolphins pass rusher. We need him to get after Aaron Rodgers. We need him to take over these next few games to if the Dolphins want to have a chance, you know, to get into the postseason and to make a splash the offense and earlier in the show but i want to add a couple more stats here and then we'll get into some predictions for sunday's game um i felt real silly last week we were on here i'm like hey you know maybe we should get the ball to waddle a little closer to the line of scrimmage you know don't make him have to go halfway across the continent to catch the football <laughs> well he is now first in the nfl in yards per catch at 18 and he is sixth in the nfl with 1117 yards and just to add on top of that, you know that Tyree Kill guy, his 3.47 yards per route run is the top in the NFL. It is actually the second highest ever since PFF has been keeping track of it since 2008. So I just wanted to give those guys a couple a couple extra minutes of love because, I mean, those are really two players who are making this offense completely hum. Um, and, and I have to say I'm completely impressed with their ability in the snow to get Jalen Waddell on his Jets and allow him to break free. So, gentlemen. Knowing that the Dolphins are 6-1 and one at home, they allow a average of 15 points per game at home, which is the second best record in the NFL, or second best total, I should say. The Packers are 1-6 against teams with a winning record. 0-5 against teams on the road with a winning record. So, gentlemen, Josh, I'm going to find you for the amount of times you've said queasy the show, but outside of that, those numbers got to make you feel a little good, right? Yeah, what's the opposite of queasy? Is there? I and I think Merrick's kind of the one to blame for the queasy talk. But yeah, those numbers absolutely make me feel a little bit better. Make me feel, you know, maybe Joe Film was not taking that timeout. You know, letting that play out and letting the Dolphins, you know, make a stop there in that game many years ago. But I think if we're looking for a prediction here, Jake, I'm gonna go 33. 17 Dolphins, 33-17 Dolphins. I think this is going to be that commanding game that we want to see from them. I think the defense, you know, latches down, looks much better than we've seen, I guess, late. Again, they haven't played bad, so I just think the defense will clamp down, maybe get a few turnovers, make Aaron Rodgers' life a living hell, and stop that run, most importantly. Dolphins 33, Packers 17. Merry Christmas, and I think we're all thankful for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Are you ending the show now, Josh? Is, <laughs> are we done? No, I, I just figured I wasn't going to get a talk again, so I had to make sure I threw that out there. I do tend to ramble. I'm sorry. Uh, I I feel like, again, these these home splits, road splits, all that stuff. I like the numbers, 15.3 uh, points per game. The defense is surrendering at home. Like I said earlier, the Packers' only quality win was against the Cowboys. That's And you just gave me the stat there, Jake. Their only win against a team with a winning record was against the Cowboys. That was in Green Bay, and that was in overtime. Uh, 
they're not a good football team this year. That I mean, that's that's all you can say. They're still in playoff contention, but that's because it's the NFC and they're they're vying for that final playoff spot with teams like the Giants and and the Commanders and like come on now, like it's they're not a good football team this year. There's no two ways about it. So if the Dolphins want to, you know be considered a serious contender uh, and not because of a moral victory in a loss like they did against the bills, then they need to come out and they need to put the hammer down and they need to take it to this team. Um, I don't know if that's the Dolphins' style. Like we said, you know, at home, it, it seems to be their style, but it just feels like this team wants to give us a heart attack every single week. So if we're doing predictions right now, I will take the Dolphins to win this one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna predict a little bit closer of a game, and I'll take the Dolphins 27-23. Wow, a four point game, a four point game. I just really like this matchup here, considering you know if Miami can get Rodgers and you know second and seven, third and seven. He he's getting up there in age. I don't think he has the same escapability in the pocket he once had. I'm really interested to see how this offense would deal with, you know, Christian Wilkins instantly getting off the line of scrimmage or Jalen Phillips instantly getting off the edge and, and getting to him. Um, because I don't think he really has that quick outlet that can, you know, get that seven yards real quick. You know, Christian Watson, it's running in a straight line. Romeo Dobbs, we have to see more of before we can really trust him. And outside of that, it's Randall Cobb uh, still making it work down there. So, 37-13. This team needs oh, a massive wow. confidence boost. Damn. This is a group that has struggled to find its identity. It started with a 13-point loss and then a 6-point loss and then a 3-point loss. I think this is a team that got embarrassed a couple times in the primetime spotlight, even just generally even the 4 o'clock spotlight. I think they have a list and they checked it twice. They're going to show up ready to play in Miami. I'm going 37-13. I, I think this is the one where Rodgers looks like a ghost. Wow. I, where they're going to get the killed. They're going to get killed now. <laughs> I hope not. So you're saying like, like Tua is Santa and, and Aaron Rodgers is Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. All right. All right. Yeah. We can go with that. Josh, did you, is that our Photoshop? Did you, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> did you, did you bleep my mom, Santa? I dude, anytime you can make an always sunny joke, man. They are always, they are always so, so gold, but Guys, we did it. Today was a track meet. We ran pretty far. We did two podcasts in one. I hope everyone out there enjoyed it. And gentlemen, I got to say, man, I sounded like John Gruden there. Oh, my. Uh, it's been a blast to podcast with you guys. Not going to get too corny, but being Christmas week, very grateful for you, for you guys. Very grateful for our listeners. I mean, obviously, we don't make millions of dollars doing this, but man, every day it's it's a blast. And um, I can't think of many other things I'd rather be doing. No, and especially when it's cold out. It's an Absolutely. Excellent. Make a nice cup of coffee and sit down with you, you fine gentlemen, and talk Miami Dolphins football. Now, if they can just give us a, a victory, uh, which we've been devoid of for the past few weeks, it'll make next week even sweeter. Yeah, I'm I'm so thankful that we can come on here every week, talk Dolphins football again. I think I should just play the sound bite. Um, but I think what we all want for Christmas is not only a victory this week, but you know, we got the the Jets, we got the Patriots coming up. People are already talking about one of those games maybe getting flexed in a prime time. Please, God, don't let that happen. But whatever we want <laughs> under our tree, we just want a nice present. We want a postseason. We want a playoff game, right, guys? I mean, we deserve it, especially after the way this season started. But uh, they got to handle business this weekend, two weeks after, if they want to take care and ride this wave into middle of January. Is it middle of January? Yeah, mid-January is when the playoffs start. I was going to go Animal House. Germans, Bob, and Pearl Harbor. I was just going to let, let you go, Josh. You're on a roll there. You know exactly what you're talking about. 
Speaking of the Patriots, did you guys, I mean, you saw it. Everybody saw it, right? Like the, the anti-Miami miracle play. Amazing. We we couldn't get on here and record without rubbing their face in some some dog turds, could we? I don't know how much it would have impacted my mental growing up if I knew that the Patriots or just every team, someone, someone wasn't completely perfect. Because seeing those Patriot helmets and seeing a play like that happen it's really hard for my mind to register that. Like the Miami miracle. It's another one. Where it's like the, the Patriots did something wrong. And, and to me, that that's a great first Christmas present. Seeing Mac Jones, just eating turf sad. I mean, that that's exactly what you need, but you know that that's going to be a team uh, at seven and seven. It's they're, they're going to want a little revenge and, and Miami's coming up. So there's the queasiness added to it too. Yeah. But I mean, they gave us that early gift by, by that doing that play, having that play, uh, which resulted in a loss, but then the jets lost as well. Uh, and the Dolphins are are vying for that final playoff spot with those two teams, and they still have to play both teams uh, in the last two weeks of this year. But it actually helped, even though the Dolphins lost this week, they they rose their playoff chances by a whole percent. They went from 70% heading into the week, uh, and even though they lost, now they have a 71% chance to make the playoffs just because the Patriots and the Jets, Jets lost. Uh, so that that's pretty good. That's a nice little early gift. Yeah, one more early gift. Uh, Brian Cat NFL tweeted this out, and I had no idea. Hill and Waddle need to average 177 combined yards per game for the next three games to break Herman Moore and Brett Perriman's 1995 Lions record for most receiving yards by a wide receiver duo in NFL history. I think uh, Tyreek Hill needs about 450 yards to break Megatron's record, and I mentioned his receptions, you know, earlier in the podcast. So. Guys, if there's anything that we can watch over these next few weeks besides hoping for a Dolphins victory, let's see Tyreek Hill continue this improbable season and break every single record that stands before him. Yeah, the nice thing about that, if it's not this year, it could be next year. Well, I, I'm hoping it's this year for fantasy football purposes. We're all in the playoffs now, and we got our, our fair share of Tyreek Hills, I think. At least I do. I got one. That's you're smart. I'm sad I got one. <laughs> Four! Finsider Radio. I hope everyone out there has wonderful, wonderful holiday, wonderful, wonderful Christmas for Merrick Brave, for Joshua Houts and Jake Mendel. We hope for a win on Sunday, and most importantly, fins up. Fins up. That was fins up. Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. When you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, number Cause we're the Miami Dolphins.